This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle, Empire! Welcome to Off Tackle Empire, the Big Ten football podcast where, you know, we support a conference that, unlike the other conferences in college football this week, we understand that some people are just, you know, some teams are just born to rule over the others and class is permanent where form is temporary. Uh, Back under heel, peasants, was the theme of the week in the Big Ten play. Once again, this is Andrew Kieschewski. Long t- alongside Brent Musburger. No, this is Steve Braun, alongside Andrew Kosheski. Just thinking about that time that Brent Musburger introduced himself as Kirk Herbstreet alongside Brent Musburger. Yeah, you know, I that was a little bit of a window into Brent's world because clearly he wants to be Kirk, right? <laughs> <laughs> or wanted. I mean, this is in the past now, but between between that and the obvious envy of Greg McElroy, right? His girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, national title game. Which which inconsequential Alabama quarterback was it? One of the Bama Bangs guys. I'm pretty sure it was Mac. One of the Max. McElroy or McCarron or Mac or McJones. (laughs) Or yeah, honestly, McJones. Like if you wanted, if you wanted to have a job, if if Mac Jones wants to guarantee himself five to six years as an NFL quarterback before sliding straight into a, a broadcasting gig. He's just got to cram his... He's just got to become McLovin, but Mac Jones. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Win fight tribe rooster of the week is um, Bud Light. How dare all these craft breweries have the arrogance to exist, sapping my market share? I'll show them. I'll show them all. Fun doesn't get to exist here, because I will buy out your favorite craft microbrewery and I'll keep selling the beers you love, but actually it'll just be slightly different Bud Light with the label of something that used to make you happy, but now just makes me more money. Stop oh. resisting the might of my superior class. It is destiny. OH, in Bev. <laughs> Indeed. Well, as far as that theme is concerned, Michigan beat Indiana again. It wasn't even very close. It wasn't, but the final score of this game does kind of hide the fact that it was it was competitive for a while. The problems were multiple. First of all, Indiana did not have WAP Fillior, and the announcing booth seemed pretty confident that with the depth they had at wide receiver, they would be okay. But Fillior in the slot was really the thing that made a lot of other things so difficult to defend. I mean... With him in the slot, their bunch formations, multiple receivers on one side, could turn to conventional routes, could turn to receiver screens. There were a lot of things that his presence set up that his absence. I mean, they're relying on the freshman, I think Steve Ellis is his, is his name. Maybe I'm just associating everyone I'm not familiar with with the name Steve now because I'm looking at a Steve. Ellis is definitely his last name now. And true well, freshman, so. yeah, true freshman, definitely a decent enough prospect, but. 
Not a guy who's going to replace what you lose with Wapfilier going out. The other thing is they didn't necessarily adjust all that well to what Michigan's defense did to adjust to them. Because, I mean, how much of this game did you catch? Any of it? The first drive, Indiana came out and it looked like looked like the Kevin Wilson offense. It looked like it was going to be a game. Yeah, everything was, every. it was, maybe this is just because they scripted it really well and after they ran out of scripted stuff, they didn't adjust as well on the fly. But excellent balance between run and pass, deceptive looks. And it just sort of felt like they ran out of stuff after a little while. Um, The other thing is that when Michigan had the ball, they have started, and they've been doing this for a couple of weeks now, but they started doing the thing that we spent like the first half of the season wondering repeatedly and vociferously, why aren't they doing more of this? Which is throwing a ball to Nico Collins 20, 30 yards down the field, back shoulder throws, fades, um, things where the fact that he's 6'5 and fast and catches everything, why didn't they think of this sooner? <laughs> I think it's because they did not have enough offensive analysts up in the booth making it millions and millions of dollars a piece. I don't think that they quite put together the uh, the, the the OJ Simpson defense team of offensive <laughs> analysts. Yeah, just, just needed a booth with like more analysts than the Heritage Foundation. Like how do we like basically how do we subvert democracy in North Carolina becomes how do we get chunk plays of more than ten yards at a time when we have Nico Collins and Dobbin Peoples Jones on our team. Um, How can you ever possibly do this? Okay, so they cracked the code over the last few weeks. But for Indiana, though, you know, this really... Lucy held the football out there for a hot second. And then she pulled it back. She pulled it. And then when when Indiana slipped and fell, she, uh, she spiked it on Indiana's face. And then just started kicking the shit out of him. Yeah, so... Ugh! <laughs> as it, as you know, Photoshop Tom Allen's head on Charlie Brown as he's like, you know, flipping completely around in mid It's a pretty incredible air, by the way, from just a small, frumpy cartoon boy taking a little bit of a run up to a kick. I mean, he goes... Yeah, when you think of... When you consider the rotational force there that his foot implies, imagine if he ever made contact. <laughs> He'd be booming 70-yarders. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because that somehow has enough force there to, to propel him just like slipping <laughs> into the air well above his height. That, man, maybe maybe it's for like... Can we, get, can we have ESPN bring back that goofy sports science segment just, just once <sighs> to do an analysis of how far Charlie Brown would kick the ball if he actually made contact that with That seems like something that they might have actually done for <laughs> April Fool's. Um... <laughs> Um, I don't know. We, we we should we should do a little bit of uh, investigative journalism. Figure out who exactly was doing that and why ESPN laid them off. What well, was Scott Brinkus was the guy's name, but in terms of who was actually responsible for that goofy ass segment, I don't know. Look, if if you're an Indiana fan, you're tired of hearing that. Yeah, but you're actually getting better. If you're um, an Indiana fan, I'm sorry. But look, nine Indiana is still in play. They got to beat Purdue next week, and they got to win their bowl. Uh, that second thing is a little bit dicey for Indiana historically, and because there's a good chance they're going to be going in with eight wins, they're going to be a little further up the bowl. I mean, usually when they get to a bowl, it's the very bottom of the pecking order, and so they get a winnable matchup because of it. I mean, Indiana maybe, and we'll 
probably next week we'll go more depth into bull projections once it's a little bit clearer because we just don't have time to run through 40 different iterations. So much news. We try to bring it to you just as just as expeditiously as we possibly can. Without making it up and speculating about, you know, 100 different permutations ahead of time. But, I mean, there's a chance Indiana's in the Tax Slayer Bowl, maybe as high as the Outback Bowl. Like, that's not going to be easy meat that they're playing in a bowl game. This is the consequence of moving up a little bit in the world. And, of course, of a couple other teams, <laughs> Michigan State, falling off a bit and sliding right down past you. So You're going to maybe play a team on Michigan's level if you end up down south against SEC. Yeah, because that, I mean, that could mean probably not Georgia, but it could mean Florida. It uh, could mean, well, let's see, who would be next? Kentucky, maybe? Tennessee? I guess. I if I'm Indiana, I think Tennessee is probably about the best hope you draw yeah. could get in that kind of situation. But anyway, you know, now you've got the bucket to look forward to. That's always a good game. And then you go on to your bowl matchup. So is this outcome disappointing? Sure it is. But this is also a Michigan team that's kind of peaking towards the end of the season. And speaking of, if you're a Michigan fan right now, this game may trick you into thinking that there's hope for next week. And hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. Especially if you really think that you're going to beat this Ohio State team just because they struggled a little bit with Penn State. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I can't help but wonder if at the end of this season, because look, it could Michigan beat Ohio State? I guess weird things have happened. Weird things happen in college football every week. They happen. Weird things happen to this week in college football. I think <laughs> Florida International beating Miami, <laughs> but uh, they played. The, if they played that game ten more times, Miami wouldn't win a single one. True enough. But I mean, like. On paper, <laughs> I get what you're on saying. paper, I in the big picture, like, is that not a stranger than fiction kind of thing? Yeah. So if you're Michigan, you're probably looking at a 9-3 and regular season. That means no playoff, no conference title game, no New Year's Six Bowl. And because of the way the bowl matchups line up and the preference for avoiding repeat matchups, because the tie-ins are supposed to send five different teams to each of the Citrus, Outback, and, um, oh, what's the third one? Citrus, Outback, and the Holiday Bowl. We're supposed to send different teams to those three, five out of every six years the Big Ten is. Michigan's played in the Citrus and the Outback within the last couple years. So depending on how things line up, they may fall all the way to the Holiday Bowl, despite being a nine-win team. So how do they play Florida? Florida has to join the Pac-12 in the next couple of weeks. Hmm. Big if true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so honestly, I believe, though, that part of what you're saying there is that Michigan, if this is just kind of steady state, then congratulations. They're like they're like Iowa's second evolution. Yeah, they're like their Iowa war turtle. Um, <laughs> I, I, Iowoto. <laughs> uh, but look, I, I can't speak for Michigan fans, and I'm sure... Those of them who listen will accuse me of being a jealous Sparty. I assure you I'm not, um, although I'd certainly rather be in your program's position now than mine. But if you get to the end of this season, and let's say that it is the Holiday Bowl, because, again, the tie-ins might force you to that position. Given what you've seen this team is capable of the last, we'll call it, we'll call it a month. We'll round it up and call it a month. And consider also 
what this team's going to be losing going into next year. Let's just talk seniors. New quarterback, your two best offensive linemen, I think both of your top two tight ends. Um, receivers are mostly underclassmen, but Collins and Peoples-Jones are both juniors. So the thing that you know for sure you've got back next year on the offense is maybe three-fifths of your offensive line. And that's Ruiz is a junior, too. I don't think he's likely to go, but he could. Um, you could be completely rebuilding your offensive line. You're going to have a new quarterback. Basically, you have some tailbacks and some res- maybe some receivers. Yeah, they'll have Ronnie Bell back. He has been understatedly excellent this year. All the Michigan fans, I would think, at least the casuals, know Ronnie Bell for is dropping the game-tying touchdown against Penn State. But that one salient exception aside, he's been <clears throat> excellent this year. He's Patterson's go-to guy on third down. His mobility in the slot and the fact that he's so good after the catch is what opens up, I think, a lot of downfield stuff for Collins. So the fact that you've got him back next year is big. Charbonnet and Haskins are a decent one-two punch. But that's what you've got for sure on offense. Defensively, you're losing Levert Hill, uh, Josh Metellus, Kalik Hudson. Kalik Hudson is, a, I think, a huge loss. Yeah. Uche, I believe, is a senior. If not, then he's draft eligible. And then other draft eligible guys... Include Ambry Thomas. Um, oh, it's driving me. I completely forget the other guy I was going to mention in this context, but plenty of your better defensive players are going to be gone as well. They've recruited well enough to expect at least a comparable level of talent. You know, for example, you've got Dax Hill who can step into more of a full time safety role for Metellus. That's good. That's a good place to be. But do you expect next year's team to necessarily be as good or better on paper than this one? I wonder about that. And again, given what you've shown you're capable of the last few weeks, I think maybe big picture, Michigan fan looks back at where this offense was when they played Wisconsin and wonder, like, why did it take so long when the solutions don't really seem to have been that complicated? Yeah. It, and and it's not even like these solutions were particularly cryptic. We've been wondering all year why they're not throwing the ball more, why they keep trying to be Wisconsin. Yeah, well, and the thing is, like, they, they have been, they've gotten better on the ground as well, but part of that is because there's now the threat of this downfield passing yeah. game. Um, yeah, now it's because they're willing to do that before they've got, like, a, a three-touchdown deficit. Yeah, all right. Well, so anyway, that's just a little bit of amusing I had about a pre- presuming the outcome next week is what we think it'll be. Do you maybe look back and... I don't know how you feel any differently about this season if you're a Michigan fan than that. Maybe these this little run last few weeks is enough that you're happy. Like, kind of almost coming back against Penn State and then getting the Notre Dame and Michigan State wins, which, again, if you're still valuing a Michigan State win the way you would have four years ago, you need to come out from under that rock a little more often. Um, speaking of coming out from under a rock, Northwestern scored some points on Minnesota. That's a, that's a thing. Uh, yeah, 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 I guess uh, it, uh, at some point that definitely did appear to have happened. Although if you spot Minnesota three touchdowns, that's a little bit of a problem, isn't it? Um, yeah. I, you do have to give Minnesota a lot of credit here for getting off of the mat and not looking ahead to the many big things that are still on the table for them. That would be winning the Axe, winning the West, potentially winning the Big Ten. They're not, I mean... They could. There's a very real chance that even if they win out, which would include the Ohio State win, that they're going to be on the fringe of the playoff field. I mean, if there's a, if there's an instance where the playoff committee is going to be like, do we really have to let them in? 
this would probably be it, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, we'll see how they want to handle that because the last time there was a major conference champion of comparable credentials was 2015 Michigan State, I think. Maybe one of the Pac-12 results since then where it's like, should Washington be there? But the way the committee resolved that was they put the two Big Ten title participants at five and six. Or was it at four and five? I don't remember. I think it was at five and six. With the implication being whoever wins this game is probably in. That's not going to be the case this year. They're no, because gonna... they're going to keep putting Penn State ahead of Minnesota. Yeah, <laughs> which it, you know, if you're a Minnesota fan, it has to make you want to snap that. I mean, right Wisconsin did pretty well against Purdue. Wisconsin could come past Minnesota. Who knows? Well, they'd have to beat them, and you know, this will be a moot point next week as yeah. to Minnesota versus Wisconsin. But and then for Northwestern, you had yet more quarterback ennui. So Hunter Johnson returned and quickly left, and then Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, went to the sideline and he went, hey, Marty, Marty, you got to get in there, Marty. We, 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 need, a, we need a quarterback, Marty. <laughs> oh, jeez, Pat. I, don't, I mean, uh, you know, we're... we're, we're, we're shut we're, shut know, up, Marty. I need, you, I need you to take this ball, Marty. I need, I need you to throw it, throw it down the field. There, Marty. Yeah, you, you gotta run, run, Marty, run. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, my understanding is Aiden Smith was injured in this game, which is probably why Johnson starts yeah, the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got Marty. You, you got to... <laughs> You, 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 you got to try to draw the defense off sides, <laughs> So, that went interestingly. It's hard to say how well it went because um, you the, the game was well, over so quickly. Yeah, well, right. And the, most of the game was garbage time. It was, but the other thing is, notwithstanding the fact that, that Northwestern is behind three scores very quickly, like by early in the second quarter... They still only threw the ball 12 times in this game. <laughs> um, and it, all right, so on, on the one hand, can you really blame them? Because when they've tried a higher volume passing attack this year, that hasn't worked because there's just, there's no part of this passing offense that is functional. I get, you know, who would have thought, I mean, maybe just losing Bennett Skoranek really was the backbreaking thing that this offense was never going to recover from. I guess we could pull up the recruiting if you wanted, but you know, there's no blue chip wide receivers coming in like a David Bell to save this passing attack. He's got a crease to the five. Uh, they've got, got a crease to the pylon. What they've got is basically going to be similar to what they've got now. How's this get any better? I don't, I don't know. I see a pro right here. Even where they are now, it, kind of, it makes you look back at last season with a little bit more wonderment. How did that happen? And specifically, how did Iowa and Wisconsin allow that to happen? I mean, Wisconsin has the excuse of the quarterback Rangers. Iowa, what's yours? How did how did Nebraska allow that to happen? How did Rutgers allow that to happen? Like, so many people just let this happen. I mean, yeah, Rutgers was set up as being the gatekeeper for Northwestern in the title game. <laughs> That's how weird it was. Yeah. Um, all right. Sorry. As, as far as as Andrew Marty is concerned, um, he, he just kind of ran around screaming and scored two touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wouldn't and, mind... Uh, if next week's game goes particularly well for the Illini pass rush, just like super cutting a video of him getting sacked with Morty screaming. <laughs> oh, oh, damn it, Marty. No, 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 no. You got to go the other way, Marty. I just picture like... You got, I want you to take this ball, Marty. And you're going to have to shove it way up 
in inside the, <laughs> inside the fullback's arms. <laughs> up, up his arms? Way up Way in there. up there. <laughs> well, all right. So, look, we'll go just a little bit deeper and then we'll move on. Because, all right. Way so, up there. <laughs> when you look at this game, Northwestern does put a few touchdowns on the board, right? How does that happen? They have exactly three useful drives through the course of this game. And maybe that's a lack of focus on the Minnesota defense's part. Maybe that's because Northwestern actually found a little bit of rhythm. So they had three touchdown drives that lasted 14 plays, 15 plays, and eight plays. Guess, and I, I've taken to doing this. I Now we share an outline, and I've taken to blacking out one astounding fact that I find every week so that I can put to you and get your reaction live. Outside of those three drives, what was Northwestern's best drive on the day? I'm going to go with the... Uh... 35 yards. And how many plays? Eight. So you think they managed an eight-play drive for 35 yards outside of their three scoring drives. Go ahead, highlight the text, pull back the curtain, move that bus. Six (laughs) plays for 13 yards. My God. On their non-scoring drives, that was the best they managed all day. Holy shit. Yeah. That's That's how you get three touchdowns and still manage the offensive output they did, which... It was 90, under 200 yards. Yeah, 95 yards passing, 128 rushing. About 200 yards. Yeah. Um, and granted, the rushing totals are lower than they would otherwise be because they're not sack adjusted. But that's still... That's how you get that kind of offensive output and still get three touchdowns on the board. First of all, one of them was off of a free kick after the safety, so you had a shorter field. But then other than that... It's that's every single one of your yards being devoted to scoring drives, which look, there are less efficient ways to run your offense. I mean, if you're if you're only going to have like if if you only make like a hundred dollars in a week and you put you better put every single cent of it into food and housing, because otherwise things are not going to go well for you in the long run. Right. (laughs) You know what, Pat? You've had the same offensive game plan for, 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 for 10 years now. What are you doing, Pat? I, I, no, I don't want to play this anymore, Pat. We, we, we're getting we're getting killed out there, and, and, and it's not going to be any different next year, is it? Clipping just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's enough of that. And that, by the way, if you're a listener of this podcast, you better hope to God Andrew Marty is never the full-time starter. For <laughs> because, because if he is, that's all you're going to hear. That's gonna be, that is going to be our Northwestern coverage from here on out. So enough of that. On to happier subjects. Michigan State Rutgers. Uh, <laughs> Sparkers. Oh, I mean, it, the, only th- the thing is, even a 27-0 game, I can find ways to resent this program because <laughs> watching this game cost me the chance to watch most of Ohio State, Penn State. Like that was the that was the opportunity cost for me. And on the one hand, is it unreasonable of me to gripe about a four-score shutout win on the road? Yeah, sure, it's unreasonable. Am I gonna do it anyway? You bet. You guys know me better than that. Um, this game was closer than it should have been for a long time because this is still a Michigan State offense that couldn't finish against air half the time. Um, I mean, they still do things like go to a pistol formation and then hand it off on fourth and one. And of course the guy's like six inches short. He started seven yards deep out of the pistol. Um, (laughs) They miss a 33-yard field goal with a kicker who should have been benched games ago, but they're never going to because they don't bench upperclassmen. Um, this This is an offense that after they're 
offense works on the first three drives. They're like, all right, why don't we, let's see, let's pull the left tackle and let's pull the right guard and let's just put different guys in and see how that goes. We're still doing that. We're in like year six of that not working, but they're still doing it. And like, it's not like this is the starting five from the first week and it's like, let's get a couple backups experience. Like this is already a line that was starting three true freshmen. And let's, why don't we see if we can just throw a couple other pieces who from the beginning of the season probably would have been like fourth, fifth, sixth stringers. Let's put them in there and see how this goes. Like, I know Rutgers is not a good team, but they are Division One athletes. Like, anyway, did I tell you that Rutgers was bad? Yeah, they're bad. Um, but look, if, if you watch the first cup quarter, first half even of this game, until because <clears throat> Michigan State was up ten nothing until right at the end of the first half, they ran a two minute drill. Remembered that they had Cody White, who nobody on Rutgers could guard. And then they get the second touchdown and push the margin out to 17-0. The game was over at that point because Rutgers' offense was not doing anything. I mean, it should tell you for one thing that if Rutgers had a decent quarterback, they would have had a good day passing the ball because there were receivers open. Langan just couldn't hit them. And the one, the one time he did, they also had one brutal drop as well. But Langan's uh, tenure at Rutgers has been like, like, a, like a, a sad world version of Jalen Hurts where it's like, he can't hurt you with his arm, and he also can't hurt you with his legs. Um, <laughs> 3.5 yards per carry is not very good, but it's better than 2.9 yards per passing attempt. Yeah, so I get, you know, in that regard, I suppose, why not just continue to bash? I mean, like, it's only because he's a pretty well-built kid that he's survived <laughs> wow. the number of carries he's had on this. Only, season. I've never seen anything like this. Two people carried the ball for Rutgers. Is that bizarre? It's a little weird, yeah. <laughs> Especially given that, notwithstanding the fact that the score may have looked close until... Wait, did they only run 47 plays? It was, they had three and outs. They didn't have any first downs in the first half. None. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they ran 47 plays. Right. Holy shit. That's, that's, that's got to be, at the very least, in terms of Big Ten on Big Ten action here, it's got to be the least plays that I remember seeing someone run this year. Yeah, I'd be hard-pressed to come up with a better example. Um, Rutgers has been shut out a few times. This, I think this is the fourth time they've been shut out this year. You know what? If their Big Ten record was was assessed not on wins and losses, but on whether or not they scored any points... They'd still be a 500 team! Yeah, they'd be 4-4. Four and four. <laughs> Contemplate that! Like, and we let them in the conference. They, they live here now. God. It's still hard to take much in the way of optimism for Michigan State because... They needed this win, and they need to beat Maryland next week to squeeze into a bowl by the skin of their teeth. It, However, how did you think of how Maryland acquitted themselves? Did they scare you? No, they don't. I mean, the only the only reason that I'm even marginally more nervous about Maryland versus Rutgers it's is... because they're not Rutgers. Well, right. That, and Maryland does have Javon Leak. Like, they have a guy capable of cracking the home run ball. And with Michigan State's offense being as bumbling as it is, you only you may only need one or two of those if your defense is even marginally better than Rutgers was, which I think Maryland's probably is. So that that's, of course, the segue you're trying to throw me, which is Nebraska blowing somebody out. This is the Nebraska that we, well, you to a greater extent, but we both thought we would see for much of the season. And that, an offense that gets rolling has a diverse, multi-dimensional run game and enough through the air that you can't otherwise deal with them. Um, when this offense is clicking, it is hard to stop. It just hasn't looked like this 
until now, <laughs> this season, when it's already game 11, and their hopes of being competitive in the division race have long since been extinguished. Yeah, I mean, they, they already lost six games, and, and they, they could easily be three... They could easily be uh, three and eight right now, because... The Illinois game they could have easily lost, and the Northwestern game they could very easily have lost. And it's a one-point sample. I mean, I still maintain that they played pretty well last week against Wisconsin. There were just a lot of pivotal plays that they came up short on on specific moments. They moved the ball well. They acquitted themselves well. The score doesn't necessarily show that because they went for touchdowns instead of field goals late when the field goals wouldn't help them anyway. Um, So maybe this is two games in a row where you can say that they're playing well and... Maybe they head into Iowa with some hope, but at the same time, what does it mean against a Maryland team that either beats people by a million points or loses by a million points or plays Indiana? Right. (laughs) Well, and there's been a lot more of the losing by a million points recently. Honestly, the beating people by a million points things was limited to two data points. Yeah, that's true. Three. Three. Or Rucker (laughs) as well. Well, I don't even want to count that. So So Uh, you you count Howard and not Rucker? Honestly? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there were some glimpses here of what... Hungry? Howard. Of, of what Nebraska intended to be before the season. From the Maryland perspective, this game serves as a quick reminder that lots of us outsiders did not understand the Loxley hire when it happened, and we still don't. Has there been a proof-of-concept point since the Syracuse game? I mean, if you want to say that the Rutgers game mattered... I don't see how you can, though, given what we know about Rutgers other than that. And they played reasonably well against Indiana. No, they did. But the thing is, like, there isn't such a lack of talent here that they shouldn't have been able to show something right away. Like, I know all the preseason projections were very low on them. I think that's partially because of the division they were in and partially because of there was this sense that the program was in such a weird place. But there was still plenty of talent on this team. You hired Loxley because he's supposed to be this great recruiter, but in spite of a couple of high-profile flips at the end of the last cycle, Nick Cross and Lance LeJohn, how's that going this year? Well, let's go, let's surf on over to the 24-7s, and uh, about like it was last year, where he needed those last-second flips to get to 11th in the Big Ten and 47th nationally. Right now, where is he? 11th in the Big Ten, 53rd nationally. And that's the thing. This could have worked, but you can't afford to lose that big that early. I mean, you know, everyone knows that when you take over a program that... And and Maryland had turmoil, but wasn't necessarily a dumpster fire from a wins-losses perspective. No, or from a talent perspective. Like, there was stuff to work with here, and it just... When you bring in a recruit, like, obviously, you know, I'm going to talk about Ron Zook. He was able to recruit a lot of people based on... A lot of talent based on hope with Mike Loxley's help, with some hope. Year two, they won- they went two and ten, but they beat Michigan State on the road, and they were competitive in a lot of games. They took Ohio State to like overtime or something, so you know he was able to sell that they were doing something. And then of course they went to the Rose Bowl. Now it was after ever all everyone knows about Ron Zook is that he's a great recruiter. Well, that wasn't true after he'd proven that he can take a lot of talent and do jack shit with it. And in two thousand nine. So that's the thing. Mike Loxley might never get a chance to get this thing rolling because the powers that be in the East have just served him up just like like, like truckloads and truckloads of humble pie. Right, and like the kind of recruiting that he's going to have to succeed in 
why, if you're some four-star or five-star out of the DMV, if you're being offered also by Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan, why are you choosing to go to Maryland and get your ass kicked by the, you know, for every one of you going to Maryland, there's seven or eight of them going to those other schools. Like, you gotta, you gotta have some kind of proof of concept to get a critical mass of kids together, and they haven't done that yet, and it doesn't look like they're going to now. I'm not following the uncommitted kids. Maybe there's a surge coming in this recruiting class that I just don't see, but you're not going to have bowl practices to improve your current roster. They've already got 14 commits in this class. I don't think they have a huge senior group on the field this year. They can't have all that many spots left. What am I missing here with why they had to be Loxley? I mean, we know from our Maryland sources that the alumni apparently, and the boosters especially, were big into this hire. They wanted this guy. The question, again, is... I mean, what I'm wondering is, what are they saying to kids at this point? Because the idea is that he's got these relationships, which I totally believe that he's got great relationships with these high schools. But what's your pitch right now? What, what, are, you, what are you saying? Are you saying, like, no, this is, this is in no way... Like, how are you reassuring people Yeah, if, that, you're, if you're a quarterback, come here and play for me where you can achieve a, a low 30s completion percentage. You know, come to me if you're an offensive lineman and will block for three yards a carry. Josh Jackson seemed like an absolute coup of a grad transfer. Right? Yeah, right. Well, and I mean, his shine had his star had started had begun to fall a little bit before he even left Virginia Tech, but he was injured, and then they replaced him. Yeah. So and compared to what Maryland had going on before, yeah, I thought I thought that was going to be a big deal. I guess the way we can wrap up this conversation is this. You see any way Loxley makes it past three years? Unless recruiting takes an unforeseeable trip to the top here without a lot of wins happening, um, which really unusual, but weird things have happened like that. But that's the only way I can possibly see things happening. Is is it? And if and the thing is, recruiting can happen when there's not wins, but you don't go from recruiting eh to recruiting great without winning, okay? So he had to start off with a bang from a recruiting standpoint because your recruiting is only ever going to get worse until you start winning. That's the problem with bringing in a guy that can recruit is that when you start there, that's when you've got the most hope to sell because you haven't played any games yet. And until you actually win some games, the recruiting pitches are just going to get weaker. Yeah, And he's, he's already starting to run out of time. All right. Speaking of running out of time, we have run out of time to not throw you some more advertisements for our products and services such as... All right. Welcome back to Off Topical Empire. And uh, we, we went through some uh, expected heavy favorites just, you know, ruthlessly crushing their opponents under their boots. And, well... Illinois put forth a pretty good effort for a peasant uh, going into Kinnick Stadium. Almost got the the gate into the castle down to behead the Lord. Just couldn't quite do it before they dumped the hot tar on you. I, I, I tweeted this from the Champagne Room and it became our most popular tweet. If they're uh, win or lose, midway through the fourth quarter, I said, win or lose, there's no doubt that this is a competitive Big Ten football program. My goodness. Yeah, Illinois has definitely escaped the Big Ten underclass. Now, they may not quite have moved on up to the east side just yet, but giving Iowa a fight in Kinnick was not something this program's had the capacity to do for several years before this. Now, 
I, I only learned about this for the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth times yesterday, or however many more times they said it, but did, did you know that Illinois played Iowa last year and the, the score was somewhat lopsided? Did you actually count? <laughs> of course I didn't, but they they, uh, well, they I, said I that I mean, if you repeatedly said, throughout the entire broadcast. I would have believed you. I would have believed you. Um, so look, from in terms of an outcome perspective, this was the the turnover situation reversing itself on Illinois. They themselves turned it over three times. Did I? I don't think Iowa turned it over at all. No, they turned they? it over once. Uh, once. No, no, wait. Or either once or twice. Stanley threw a couple of god awful balls. Yeah, but it, you know, living a lifestyle. No, Stan, Stanley threw through one pick. Yeah. Okay. Where you're counting on a plus two or a plus three in the turnover margin is asking for trouble. But again, I especially I, against Iowa, who just has not been turning it over. Well, because they resolutely avoid risky plays or, you know, potentially big plays. Yeah. But I still think that Illinois acquitted itself pretty decently. Um, the, the other side of this coin, if you're Iowa, the offensive limitations that this team has shown in for substantial parts of this year, I mean, look, I, don't, I wouldn't say they feel fixable in the short term just because there's only one game left in the regular season. And it also feels a little bit like philosophically imposed limitations. Like they, they've got an interior offensive line that just is not that good in run blocking, particularly in the zone stretch that they use so much this year. But they continue to try to use it repeatedly. Um, honestly, it kind of feels like if there was ever a season for them to become a more pass-oriented offense, this would have been it. You've got a senior quarterback who can be good at times. And then with Smith-Marset, Brandon Smith, Tyrone Tracy, like they have a pretty good group of wide receivers like top half of the conference I would feel okay saying like if we're going to run through it they're behind Minnesota behind Michigan behind Ohio State behind Purdue behind Indiana but they're other than that I mean this is a group of receivers that you could build an offense around if your run game isn't working which it hasn't been I do give them some credit here in that they've been willing to recenter this run game around Goodson because I do think he's their most dynamic tailback. But he's not he's not the kind of guy who is gonna single handedly create a running game that isn't there. I mean if if it's not blocked, he's not the kind who's going to make it for himself. At least not at this point. He could get there, but yeah, other than that, uh this win takes Iowa to eight on the season. How about that? Whoever Boy. whoever would have foreseen that. Well, Matt Millen may or may not have foreseen it. He he definitely saw a lot of a lot of similarities between Nathan Stanley and several Pittsburgh Steelers quarterbacks, and no other quarterbacks that played for any other NFL teams. I wonder why that is. Well, colors are easy. Right? Well, I mean, <laughs> I felt like for some time he had some Ben Roethlisberger energy. Uh, then he threw a pick deep in Illinois territory, and I felt he had some Neil O'Donnell energy, and. Uh, well, then there were various points where he had some Charlie Batch energy. Uh, then he had a little bit of had a little bit of Byron Leftwich energy. Uh, he had some Michael Vick energy on that one play um, where we had him dead to rights and to Daley Harding missed a tackle and he just flung it forty yards down the field. That felt like that ended the game because that was yeah. on a stop that Illinois really needed. What? How would you define Bruce Brankowski energy? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Very Polish. 
Yeah, you know, I was in Toledo several years ago for a friend's wedding, and he's still like beloved there. <laughs> I think I, I think I inadvertently ate in a restaurant that he owns. I don't think it was called Gregkowski's or anything, but I think it may, if I remember correctly, I think it had something near the door indicating this is owned by Toledo Rocket Legend Bruce Gregkowski. And I was like, oh, all well, right. he was responsible for what has to be one of your favorite NFL games, the uh, every point scored by Kowski's game. I'm not even sure if I'm aware of that. Oh, the Patriots played the Raiders one time, and every single point involved a Kowski. Uh, Rob Gronkowski scored all the Patriots touchdowns, and then all of the extra points and field goals were made by by uh, Steven Goskowski. And Bruce Gradkowski was involved in all of the Raiders touchdowns, <laughs> and Sebastian Janikowski kicked all of their kicks. Every point in that NFL game was scored by a Kowski. The Polish Revolution. This, I can't. I can't. I literally can't believe you weren't aware of that. <laughs> no, I mean, but that's the this the proportionate amount of attention that I pay to the NFL. I mean, that that should not surprise you. Um, so anyway, uh, Iowa and their big Mark Malone energy quarterback. It was weird. He he, both him and Brandon Peters were locked in a duel of let's make some really stupid plays and then let's make like a few really spectacular ones. I don't know. I'm, I wonder once he's gone, what are Iowa fans ultimately going to think of Nate Stanley? Because regardless of how this season plays out, I mean, there's there's not going to be any big accomplishments in his tenure. You know, he came in after their Big Ten title appearance. They haven't been back. They're not going back in his time there. They're not doing any New Year's Six equivalent bowls. Um, like, what is the biggest win of the Nate Stanley era, for one thing? Minnesota this year. I'd be hard pressed to say anything else. Um, that's a you know that's a win over an undefeated rival late in the season. That's not that's not nothing. But we discussed before this season he was a 500 starter in conference play, and again, let's pull up their record and. They're five and three in conference play this year with one more game to go. So if they lose that game next week, he'll be one game over five hundred for his career. If they win it, he's three over against Big Ten. Yeah, um, which I mean, honestly, I think you can safely <clears throat> say that Nathan Stanley's legacy will be the most Kirk Ferentz Iowa quarterback because he is the program. He is he is a, a guy with a with a high floor. But like, also hits up against his ceiling a lot. He's a giant bowl of tapioca pudding. Like, there are worse things that you could do, but there are way better things too. Like Nathan Stanley is like, gonna, feels like he is going to end up starting a few NFL games and then holding clipboards for a while, and he's going to be one of those great remember that guys. You know, about twenty years from now, he's like, oh yeah, you remember that period where Nathan Stanley was starting for that. That's definitely a guy that started NFL games, isn't it? Huh. Whatever. Wonder whatever happened to him. Yeah. That's yeah. Not He's got like, that written all over. I'm like Bruce Rakowski. So uh, uh, this game could have been 24-19 Illinois, but it could also have been 42-7 Iowa. There was a lot of offensive constipation on both sides. Iowa settled for a lot of field goals and didn't make all of them. Blake Hayes probably <laughs> had the worst game of his career, which really needed every single Kirk is over here just talking about like that that you know he's improved, but you are not a Jedi yet. Late in this game, I, I I knew it was basically over, and it was fun that I got to watch an entire damn Illinois game against a legitimate team, and we were in it. 
Well, then we got an amazing no call on Geno Stone just blasting Brandon Peters like several steps after he threw the ball like in in the head. Peters went to the locker room, and never came back. They reviewed it on replay and said that not only was there, I mean, there was no targeting, but of course they also didn't call the late hit. I became extremely angry. Uh, Geno Stone can blow me, and Illinois isn't forgetting that cheap shot anytime soon. Well, hold on now, that's not fair. I mean, look. The one thing we know about Iowa is uh, this is a program and a fan base who doesn't hold a grudge. I, do you, do you know what I'm talking about when I say that, by the way? Not 100%. Talking about how 10 years later they still bitch about Chris Rucker playing the game after he got out of jail. Oh. <laughs> In a game that they won, by the way. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, anyway, no, so had some, had some, you're, some you're advice ent- for... You're entitled, based on their behavior, to remember this until at, yep. least, until at least 2029 is what I'm telling you. Yeah, so I'm gonna insert some advice for Geno Stone or whatever. Take it, take it for what it's worth. Look, I mean, you ask me, should he be allowed to play the first half of the Nebraska game? Whatever. I mean, here's the truth about your secondary, okay, Iowa? Continuing the attempted peasant revolution... Purdue gave Wisconsin more of a fight than they really had any right to on paper. I mean, well into the second quarter, Purdue looked like the better team because for unclear reasons, Wisconsin late in the second half had given the ball to Jonathan Taylor six times. Then they remembered we have a Heisman caliber player on our team who's gotten the ball six times so far. We should probably do something about that. What, did he fumble or something? He, yes, he lost a couple fumbles. Wisconsin, I mean, actually, that's kind of a part of the tale of this game is Wisconsin did have a little bit of a case of the fumblies. And Purdue, to their credit, continues to draw up enough creative plays to make use of what they've got. Again, this is an offense that's running out a third-string quarterback against a defense that's still probably going to end up, what, top 10 in the country? Yeah, I mean, and man, I mean, for... for... And this this game was not as close as four turnovers to one would lead you to think. No. Well, I mean, it's probably only the turnovers that prevent this from being an even wider margin. Yeah, a hideous blowout. Yeah. But, you know, Purdue didn't go down without fighting. Yeah, Purdue Purdue gives you things to watch in your semi-hideous blowouts. Yeah, Purdue is the, <clears throat> Purdue is the guy in, um, in Tiananmen Square, standing in front of a tank in this case. Um, except the tank is, you know... Wisconsin's offensive line. I wonder what the hell they were trying to prove by by keeping Taylor out of the game. All right, like if they just kept him out of the game the whole time and just lost the game, we'd be like, well, that'll teach that'll you to teach fumble. you to fumble, <laughs> like like as though he's just fumbling, like just trying to dick around, Not just be like, hey, look at me, look at how I can carry the ball. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just like, come on, man. It, it, this well, is, look, I, <laughs> I get it on one hand, but on the other hand, like. I'll Jonathan quali- Taylor is the key to beating Purdue in this game. Yes, Give him I'll, the ball. I'll qualify my observation there by saying I didn't watch the part of the game where Taylor was sitting, so I don't know if it was like, 
second fumble and like he gets to the sideline and Paul Christ is doing his equivalent of screaming at him the way an angry coach does, which is probably just sort of like adjusting his glasses and kind of like tutting and then going back to his novel. Um, Grisham, Grisham you know, novel, I you, assume. I assume, you know, so, I assume. So things, things occurred on this play that are not the things that we want to be occurring on every play. So the thing about this play is and that... The thing about this play is that things, is that things occurred, is that, that there was a result. Okay, and when you have a result of a play, when you have a result, well, then that generally means that things have occurred to produce this result. I'm using much more flowery language than he ever would. My goodness, I can't even do it. Yeah, I think what you just did was reenacted Paul Christ's toast at his daughter's wedding. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> things have occurred. Uh, it feels like we've been saying the same thing about Purdue every week now. Yeah, like, oh, look at them. They're fighting. But honestly, Go get them, champ. <laughs> well, look. They remain a young team. They remain an injured team. They remain a team that is out of bowl contention. And I still, again... I'm going to say this again because I, it's still the case for me. I still think Brom has a chance to get this program where it looked like it was going initially. This season was a disappointment, no doubt, but he still has his guys fighting. He clearly has not lost his locker room. And in a season like this where a lot of your best players get hurt, the results on the field are not what you want, that's really what you're looking for. This, this isn't this hurting really, him in recruiting either. I mean, he's No, no. They're still doing, I think, the last time I checked, I think they were sixth in the conference, which... For Purdue is completely doable. That's in you know in the West as well. When you consider the fact that the top three spots in the conference are going to be reserved for East teams every year. Yeah, you can't write off Purdue at this point. Then there's a potential quarterback battle next year. I mean, <laughs> well, that'll be interesting. That act, yeah. I mean, at first I was going to laugh that off, but still. yeah, has has O'Connell been really noticeably worse than Plummer? No. Well, and Sindelar's back too. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> those guys, every game they play, they seem to get better. Yeah, which again, that's what you want to see out of a guy, out of a coach who's a quarterback guy is proof that he can do it with just about anybody. Which is, I think, what we've gotten out of this. Yes. Okay. Yes. PJ Fleck is also good. Okay. Does that? Can we say that Jeff Brom is a good coach without without having PJ Fleck's record against him thrown at us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Penn State had first world problems. Um, yeah. So, the reason that this game wasn't a hideous blowout is because Ohio State got sloppy in the third quarter. Like, that's really what this comes down to. If they don't get a couple fumbles from Dobbins, a couple fumbles from Fields, this game is over shortly after halftime. But to, to Penn State's credit... They took advantage of those opportunities and, dra- and for- dragged themselves back into the game and forced Ohio State to play four quarters. And so we didn't have either of the results that we mentioned these sides tripping about last week where Penn State's like, oh, they haven't played a fourth quarter game. And Dobbins like, oh, what if, you know, who said it's going to be four quarters? Well, it was four quarters, but Ohio State still won by two scores against a top 10 team. So Penn State didn't score in the fourth quarter, so... No, they didn't. Penn State I mean, hasn't played a fourth quarter game against Ohio State. <laughs> right. The one thing that I guess you might wonder about if you're an Ohio State fan here is the run game was not terribly efficient, but they really wrote it. Like, they wrote it hard. 
61 carries for 229 yards. And all, almost all of those were between Dobbins and Fields. Like they, small was, Teague got was, in on very few. Yeah, I was surprised that they didn't make Teague a slightly bigger part of the Your football, Master Teague. Um, and Dobbins' raw numbers ended up being decent. He still got a couple of touchdowns, but he needed 36 carries to get there. I assume that's just a decision on the coaching staff's part that, look, these conditions do not behoove us to throw the ball around very much. So they opted to keep it on the ground, trusted their defense was going to clean up their mistakes for the most part, which, again, they did. Penn State had a 17-point third quarter and nothing other than that. So I don't know if there's really cause for concern if you're Ohio State here. Well, I mean, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of... There's just a lot of game situations that Justin Fields had not been exposed to. Now, he lost several fumbles, and in two cases... They were allowed to transfer immediately to Penn State without sitting a year, um, and that well, this proved to this proved to not be a good thing for Ohio State. It actually backfired in, on that case that that things were allowed to transfer from Justin Fields without you know any delay. Yeah. So if you're Ohio State, there's <laughs> the funny Piss thing off. is well, right that <laughs> that's implied in everything we say about Ohio State, but. The silver lining here is your team before the most important game of your season, because I think Michigan is still that, your players have now learned that they too can bleed. And so they maybe go into this game with an appropriate sense of, I don't know if humility is the word, but focus or urgency or however you want to, those are some clicky nails. Um. (laughs) Come here. Now she's going to continue to walk in a circle, like, right over there. But anyway, uh, if you're Penn State, are you hoping for a Rose Bowl at this point? I guess you must be, because New Year's Six Bowl, without really being in the playoff picture after the, you know, first or second week in November, it's a little bit of a disappointing outcome, I guess, but... I don't know, like most seasons, is it reasonable to expect to beat Ohio State even when you have the resources and the talent that a Penn State does? Imagine something that would make Minnesota fans angrier. Than Penn State jumping them for the Rose Bowl? Yeah, especially if they win next week. Oh, man. Um, Well, so yeah, if Minnesota wins next week and loses the title game... What would make them angrier? That... Or P.J. Fleck becoming the next coach at Florida State, like, at the end of the season. I mean, it's a toss-up. Well, I think I still think the second thing. Well, that would make them, like, much more sad long-term, but immediate anger? Who knows? I guess, you know, the only way to test this hypothesis is for both of those things to happen. Yeah, all right. Well, I'll we will it. be... I'll we will, we will definitely be... Um, set up to record the results. Our methodology is very sound. Moving elsewhere around the country, then. Um, anything that caught your eye in particular? Well, Oklahoma took a twenty-one to nothing lead behind Jalen Hurts, just scoring a bunch of points, and then then I switched over to watch uh, what well, game we're going to talk about later. But uh, they almost blew it. They um, Jalen Hurts kept turning it over, but uh, they they held on against TCU and. Jalen Hurts is, like, it's hilarious how much of the offense he is because he he carries it, like, 25 times a game, and they ran it, like, 65 times a game or something. So it's like they have the quarterback and the running back with 25 carries or more. So 
Unlike Nebraska, Oklahoma appears to actually be getting back to the 70s, 80s here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, where it's literally where everything is the quarterback. Yeah. Uh, or the running back. They're, I mean, they're not quite running the wishbone, but the numbers look similar. So Jalen Hurts has put up numbers that are... I, I don't know. I don't know if you picked up on this, but we play some fantasy college football. Uh, they're comparable only to Lamar Jackson's 2016 season in the last four years. Yeah. Um, they're preposterous. He is mu- he's, He is the entire offense uh, to a much greater extent than <clears throat> Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray could ever dream of having been. Yeah. Think of how. Think of what a bizarre statement that is. But then look at the stats. Look at the percentage of total offense and tell us that it's not correct. Um, yeah. Elsewhere. There's been some dramatic reversals of fortune this year. Does USC have to keep Clay Helton now? They are. <laughs> if they do. They have finished up their regular season. No, they are 8-4, and 7-2 and two in the Pac-12. And, and is there an argument that Clay Helton is the Pac-12 coach of the year? Well, if he is, then the athletic director has to maybe consult with um, Maryland fans about what to do in this situation. Do you fire him anyway and curse your program to just like, wow, the amount, all the things that have, think about all the things that have happened since they fired ACC coach of the year, Ralph Regan. I mean. Randy Edsel happened. Uh, DJ Durkin happened. Yeah. Mike Loxley happened. <laughs> like, yeah. They are haunted. That's what you get for that kind of hubris, though. Um <laughs> By the way, just so everyone's aware, Tyson Helton is Clay Helton's brother. He's the head coach at Western Kentucky. They're seven and four. The more you know. She Ten- found a squeaky toy. She did indeed. Tennessee uh, is six and five. Tennessee beat Missouri and is now bowling. Virginia Tech, where Justin Fuente is very much not fired, is not only eight and three, but they're in a con- they're in a division championship elimination game with Virginia next week. Man, in September, if you look at all the coaches that we were talking about on the hot seat list, uh, every one of them has either been fired in the case of Chris Ash and Chad Morris and Willie Taggart, or dramatically reversed Completely saved themselves. Yeah, because Lovey Smith is also on there. Uh, Texas, Tennessee, and Illinois all have the same 6-5 and record. Texas is back, though. Remember what Sam (laughs) Ellinger told us. Yep. Uh, Cal beat Stanford. Axes getting liberated. This is a strange time. Kent by God State just needs to beat Emu to go bowling. Kent State! The Mac only well, has four teams with seven or more losses. Let's hold on a second. Yeah, they, go bowling, yeah. They they only need one more win to be bowl eligible. Yeah, <laughs> there's not... going to be some Mac teams that get left home, I think. Which is unfortunate. Which is unfortunate because Mac has been a circus this year. Yeah, and a lot of those teams are not the ones who can laugh it off and be like, well, whatever, we'll be back next year. Because Northern Illinois missed a bowl. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that kind of opportunity is not going to be there every year. Um, Hawaii, of course, the most west of the Mountain West teams is, of course, in the Mountain Division and won the Mountain West Mountain. How many times is Mountain? No, I think they won the Mountain West West. I think I just put in the outline wrong. Okay, because I certainly don't know the Mountain West West and Mountain divisions the way you do. So I deferred to your expertise there. You led me astray. You led me out of a mountain when I should have been going west. Oh, no. That makes me... uh, You you should not have taken Hastings' cutoff. But you know what? 
I'm just going to go and retire happily. I don't really care that all those people ate themselves and each other. Hi, Moon. Um, Hi, Moon. Anyway. Hello, Moon. We have a dog intervention. So, Hi. Mountain West does some funny things with their division names, but I think it kind of makes a little bit of sense because Mountain and West are technically two separate things. What are Atlantic and Coastal? Like... The Atlantic is the stuff that's near the Atlantic Ocean. The coastal is the stuff that's near the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> right. Furthermore, and... I wonder if Pitt is in the coastal. Let's let's look this up. I don't e- I I don't even know. Okay, that's there there that's some leaders and legends tier branding, but I consistently tell myself, all right, look, one of these, I'm just gonna look at the divisions. And I am going to learn what those and are. And I'll come up with something that'll help me remember. I don't even know how many years they've been in their current alignment, and I have yet to even make the effort. Yep, Pittsburgh is in the ACC Coastal. The alternative is even more preposterous in that they would be in the Atlantic. <laughs> so, <laughs> they are on the coast of the Allegheny River, are they not? I mean, <laughs> Syracuse is in the Atlantic. Although, and... if you think about it in that way, the Allegheny drains into the Ohio, which ultimately drains into the Mississippi, which drains into the Gulf of Mexico, which is in the Atlantic. So they are... Ultimately Atlantic, are they not? <laughs> they are indeed. Louisville is not in the coastal, but they are in the Atlantic. Anyway. Likewise, on the Ohio River, they ultimately end up in the Atlantic, right? New Mexico State and Rice has won two in a row. Rice! Rice, a roni, the San Francisco treat. Rice, a roni, the flavor can't be beat. So proud of them. Yeah, their food, and then Oregon State. They they had a five. They they had a they have a five win season, and they have a lead late on Washington State. Oh my God, no! And now they got to beat Oregon to go to a ball. They blew um, this one spectacularly somewhere although, hey, where I couldn't you know, see. They wandered out where we couldn't see, and then inside their shell they waited and bleed did bled. It, yeah, we, the Pac-12 I mean, network is not available on our thing. No, but do we have data points, though, that suggest Oregon is capable of losing a, a completely incomprehensible game? Yes, yes, we do. And that we're gonna the other points I put in here are not actually that interesting. So we are going to skip ahead to Dick Trip of the Week and talk about Untitled Duck Game. <laughs> <laughs> because in this game, Justin Herbert had a dedicated dumb decision button and he hit it pretty consistently in the fourth quarter although to be honest hard to blame him because yeah. they kept having him throw the ball when they were running really well yeah and they look the, the fact that they that Arizona State had a lead on them seemed to seem to force a little bit of panic and on the one hand yes when Herbert was hooking up with um with Johnny Johnson consistently they were unguardable the guy had I think 10 for 207 or something like that but they should, yeah, they should have first of all taken a little bit more time off the clock, in my opinion, by running the ball. As you said, they were doing well. And the thing about the weird thing about Herm Edwards is, if you do the thing that makes the most football sense, you're playing right into his hands for some reason. Like just weird things happen in his favor if you do what is expected. But but then when you don't do the right football things, well, then you're not doing the right football things, and it's also to his advantage. And it makes your coach have an aneurysm anyway, so... Um, so, yeah... You're playing um, Herm's game either way. There's other contenders for Dick Trip of the Week. 
it's going to be hard to take it from losing a national title chance to Herm Edwards, but... Um, SMU lost to Navy. SMU's ranked and Navy's not, but yeah. Navy's also an eight-win service academy, so... Should be. I mean, they're, they're still in contention for the division. But however, the other big contender for me is Miami. It yes, says, yes, that Miami. Yep. It's, it's funny. You said that they lose at home. No, that was a road game because uh, as, as Florida oh international players were apparently pointing out all week... We don't even call them Miami. Call them University of Coral Gables because we're the real Miami. We're actually in Miami. No, they went to Marlins Park, the graveyard of the old Orange Bowl, to go play Florida International where they got the living shit beat out of them. And uh, the game was only close because, Miami's, you know, Miami scored 21 in the fourth quarter to make it a one-score loss. Yeah, uh, against Butch Davis. <laughs> I mean, uh, it... It it sounds literally like uh like some shit from Dante's Inferno, the circle with the Miami fans in it, <laughs> which uh, to be frank is the deepest and hottest circle of hell. Miami in August, like that's I, really- I can't imagine being a Miami fan seeing that happen with those circumstances and not just wanting to just like weep openly into my cocaine especially in marlins park the the billion dollar publicly funded boondoggle that replaced the orange bowl (laughs) i just can't like none more miami i don't love miami but that still really really breaks my heart that the orange bowl doesn't exist anymore uh however you know what doesn't break my heart manny diaz getting trucked by butch davis the beef continues Source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle, Empire!